Are you an architect, designer, contractor, or engineer? Modeler.com is a platform connecting architects and other specifiers with building product manufacturers. Modeler.com's engaged network of over 240,000 architects, designers, and construction professionals use Modeler.com's tools to discover, discuss, and specify products appropriate for building projects. We at KZSU Stanford thank Modeler.com for the generous underwriting of production and broadcasting costs for The Modern Architect. KZSU, Stanford University's FM radio station, broadcasting across the Bay Area on 90.1 FM and across the world at kzsu.org. From the campus of Stanford University, this is the Modern Architect radio show and podcast, featuring one-on-one interviews with renowned and cutting-edge architects, influencers, and sustainability leaders. The show and podcast will inform, educate, and illuminate the transformation, joy, and inspiration architecture brings to our cities, communities, and lives. Hosted by architecture aficionado and principal of Accurate, Tom Dioro. Thank you, Darlene. For our guest today, please welcome Christopher Downey, architect, planner, consultant, and founder of Architect for the Blind. Chris lost all sight in 2008 and is recognized for his exemplary leadership and accessible design and his dedication to creating enriching and helpful environments for people who are blind or visually impaired. Chris is also a board director for the San Francisco Lighthouse for the Blind. For more information, you can visit www.arch. For blind.com. That's www.arch4, the number four, blind.com. Chris, we're thrilled and honored to have you on the Modern Architect show today. Thank you very much. Hi, Tom. It's great to be here. Thank you. Hey, Chris, can you share, uh, share with us some early inspirations, if you will, um, of how you chose to be an architect, if you can recall, as far back as yeah. you can recall? Well, I take that back to the age of being about four or five years old. Actually. Four? Yeah. My, four? Okay. my parents, four. when I was a kid, my parents were designing uh, a house. It was a modern house on a hillside in, in Nashville, Tennessee. So I, I didn't really grow up in the architect's office experiencing that. I recall being there one time, but generally it was when the house was being built, being out on the site as a little kid. Playing around on the construction site, and then when it was built and we moved in, it was a, a stunning sort of modern, unusual thing—a modern house <laughs> like uh, on a hill in Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, but it was fabulous the way it was sort of um, incorporated into the, into the landscape, a part of the landform. On the uphill side, you could walk on onto the roof, and you know, as a kid, what's better than that? Oh you know, yeah, to be able to walk into the house <laughs> or uh, onto the roof, uh, uh, and it's just sort of fun spaces, fun spaces to ride your bike around, and then tear into the into the garage, a little carport where they had creek stone gravel pits to to capture the oil drippings from the car. So it was like fun stuff and the interior spaces were fabulous the that in depth is, wow yeah. to capture the, the oil from the yeah. Like, whoa yeah. and well thought out yeah all sorts of fun little details that and even the house sort of bending around major trees that were on the site and one in particular that was sort of squeezed in between a, a dining room a living room space and a and a family room space and it created the sort of an outside room with this tree that came up through it in a big sort of volumetric space open to the view on the other side but at this tree this is like the favorite place for this this rabbit a we rabbit hung out at the bottom of this tree and just to have the, a the house a house that's sort of built around the tree around the landscape and then you know even the the wildlife thought hey this is a nice place i like this tree this little room for me and it was always hanging out there and so you know you're five years old it made architecture fun, all sorts of fun little details. And and that's really where both as an expression uh, of of our lives and, and a connection to the landscape uh, and, and the sort of the idea of 
architecture being creative, of being fun, of being a place to ex- explore and discover. I just sort of grew up in that and, and always in, enjoyed that about architecture. Yeah, so. that, that explore and discover. Mm, yeah, I, I have got a, a thought because I, I consider myself not very creative. Is it discovery is... Um, and some, sometimes even more important than uh, than actual creativity. What's your what's your thought and take on that? Well, yeah, I think it's the discovery part of architecture of, of space of cities. That's what sort of lures you to the next place, to the what's around the corner, to to understanding things, the sense of exploration and and uh, uh, really sort of opening yourself up to surprise or, or discovery. So, so to the extent that we can bake that into our architecture, into the cities and, and always wanting to look around the next corner, it's just, you know, that's what makes you know, the formation of space exciting. I like so, that the formation yeah. of space. Yeah. Uh, t- touch a little bit on that. Your, 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 your formation of space. Yeah. Um, how, how is that? What does that mean to you? And can you share some examples of that? Oh boy. Okay. So, (laughs) so, um, really trying to think, you know, and it's so much about how I think about architecture now as, uh, and I haven't thought about this before. I don't, I really think of it as a temporal experience of something you, you, you encounter you understand and you sort of uh, evaluate intellectually as you move through it, which is very different than with sight, just seeing something and saying, oh, that's a cool building. That's a yeah. cool space. Uh, with, without that, you're, you're, you're in the space physically, your whole body, and you're, you're getting all sorts of, of, of cues and things about the environment and and it's it's always like what's next what's <laughs> what is what's right in front of me and what's around the corner and and how can I perceive all that stuff so it it gives you a, a very deliberate very sort of uh, we refer to it as sort of structured negotiation structured uh, exploration of the environment and uh, so that so much that now is just the way I go about it I don't I can't just assume based on what I see or that first impression. That mm-hmm. first impression is is based on a much deeper experience experience of being in the space, moving through the space, discovering it over time, and and sort of uh, emerging with uh, an impression of a an appreciation or an understanding of the of the space. Um, so yeah. yeah. Now, create you, you. You obviously your your uh, focus now. If correct me if I'm uh, if I'm wrong is is creating uh, enriching and helpful environments for people who are, are blind or visually impaired. Mm-hmm. How did uh, you know that come about? And what's your experience now? Yeah, working with it. Well, it was. It, it's kind of interesting. It was so much of it was tied to this experience of losing my sight and 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 almost relearning architecture in the city where I knew it, always thought of it visually. And my whole design enterprise was about the visualization, sure. about the visual environment. And when I lost my sight and, and got uh, what we call uh, orientation and mobility training, and that's training you get when you lose your sight uh, to, to learn how to navigate the environment safely effectively using a long white cane and it's obviously everything but visual you're Uh. you're learning to hear the space around you you're learning to recognize things underfoot you're learning to to uh, recognize the environment around you as your cane tip hits a material on the floor and you get a you get some haptic feedback in the palm of your hand at the other end of the cane uh, and oh, you're you're okay. sensing airflow. You're if you're outside, you're sensing where the sun is hitting your face and or your your neck, and trying to hold that if you're trying to walk straight, and all, all sorts of other sort of sensory things that uh, 
you know, I had this obsession with architecture <laughs> obsession, and space, but it. it was but it was visual. And yeah. and so I've actually joked that if if you're gonna <laughs> if you know you're gonna lo- lose your sight, study architecture because it's <laughs> really? awesome. Because you first you're trained to oh, appreciate the environment. You're trained to to penetrate the environment. You're you're there. You're thinking about it. You're thinking not on the surface. You're thinking through it of how it's built. You're thinking about how this space forms the entire experience. You're thinking about how that building becomes part of the city. You're thinking through all that stuff and all the details of it. And you're always sort of looking at it, studying it. That's what you obsess on. And I did that visually. Losing my sight, it was almost like going back to school and then learning to do the same thing but using all these other sensory experiences that I was just ignoring. Yeah. So, uh, you know, wow. it was, once I realized what was going on and, and the experience of being in spaces that I knew visually uh, or parts of the city that I knew visually and all of a sudden had different experiences and I was hearing the space, and then I could think about how that, what I knew could remember visually of the space, of the form and everything that was forming that experience, then I could start to imagine, oh, this is how that happened. <laughs> oh, yeah. But you know what? It's, yeah. it's interesting. Is It sounds like you're, are you collecting it from a, a very you're capturing the, you're capturing the essence of architecture and the design and the environment even more, oh, I hate to say this, but holy. I, th- I really think so. I, okay. I've come to think of it as, you know, we each have all these tools to work with. And in this case, we can think of all the sensory experiences as different tools, all things of the, of the creative palette that we can work with. But we tend to deal with it on a visual level, which m- really minimizes the value of the architectural experience and and falls to fall short of achieving the full value which is it's almost like it's being designed just for the magazine yeah uh yeah. Uh, for the for the photograph we're doing so much work in that regard towards the visual experience and and not taking our body into that space as we design it yeah. uh, so that's yeah that's it's it's that realization of all these other sensory experiences and ways of appreciating the architecture of actually being in the space and being deliberate about that. That's what's really changed my approach to architecture today. Yeah, it recalls, and we're going to really say, uh, jump here, is that, I don't know, there's a, a scene in uh, Obi, the first Star Wars where Obi-Wan Kenobi to, is training, or maybe the second one, I'm not mm. sure, but where he's training Luke to mm. become a Jedi. And one of the mm. tests was when he had to put the helmet on and he, and he couldn't see. Mm. Yeah. And, and he had to, you know, uh, go against this... Bought mm-hmm. and uh, you know block the, right. the, the 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 saber the, uses saber and he couldn't he's getting smacked all over the place and he he'll be one system no then you can't use your eyes because they'll deceive you you right. have to use your feelings your senses yeah. and then when he finally when he got we got it at that level he was able to master it obviously right. and became a Jedi just like you're a Jedi now <laughs> so but no really is is that is that a little reach of uh, I, of saying I, I, it's funny it's uh, that's actually quite. Okay, that wasn't uh, planned on our, our interview, no, but <laughs> but I ha- I've actually had discussions about the virtual reality experience oh, okay. uh, uh, on something related to that, and and it was about how the blind could experience uh, Star Wars and, Whoa, and really? virtual wow. reality, and and I did I should have thought of that <laughs> at that moment. It's like it's baked in, it's there, <laughs> but we talked about the same things in terms of how you, it's like. If it were just a visual thing where you're, you know, these different characters are moving by you or you're moving through that space, you know, you've got to be able to, to feel their presence or hear their presence. And all these different characters, they're going to make different sounds yes. as they move around <laughs> you. So, you know, an important thing in that sort of the whole virtual reality experience is bringing all that other stuff to life and with virtuality maybe you know maybe the you, those different characters obviously they're going to have different smells yeah you know, can yeah you, that's can right you bring yeah that virtual reality experience can't you bring their sounds uh the way you physically engage so with true. it in digital space and in that that virtual reality space how can you bring all that stuff to life yeah it's so, yeah. bringing it to life mm-hmm. is um again you had to do what's very difficult for most people 
uh, in general, it's, mm-hmm. is to, to unlearn. And what was that experience like as an architect to actually unlearn what you've been taught and know that you have to begin from from zero? I I wouldn't on some ways it's unlearning. Okay. On another level it's about relearning or continuing. It's, it's I'm really fond of of saying we're, every day if we're if we're living right, every day we're learning. Every day we're growing, expanding and and doing things and and trying to improve our intellectual capacity, trying to improve our place in the world, trying to improve the world around us and all that good stuff. And and every so every day we're learning, this to me really marked sort of uh, a substantive t- change and challenging how I thought I knew the world. And it, it, I've even gotten to the point where I think, uh, realize my experience today, you know, I, I still think of myself as a sighted architect. I imagine, Do you really? I, 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 I imagine oh. I organize my thoughts visually in my mind. And I'm trained so much. And I know what the drawings look like. And I, I know all that stuff and what the architecture looks like. Uh, but uh, so, uh, it, in, in making that transition, I, I started to think, you know, I, it's almost like I live in an avatar, you know, a blind really? avatar. Living, you know, walking through the street, and I'm I'm like at a console somewhere, experiencing thing. It it comes to life when I walk into something. You know, if there's a, a oh, low lying limb or a sign, amazing. and I take it in the face. Yeah, I forgot. Okay, I'm not in the avatar anymore. This is real. <laughs> but it's that ability to sort of step outside of myself and think about. Okay, I'm. This has got to plug into the visual world, the world of all the other architects. It's got to be part of that enterprise. And I'm thinking about it in the process and everything as a sighted architect, but through the experience of this blind avatar, relearning, just sending all this, all this expense, uh, all these experiences, just relating them back to my visual architect mind to then catalog it and then work with it. Uh, so, uh, wow. once, once I did that, uh, made that sort of trip, uh, that, that connection, you know, all of it, it just becomes fascinating. <laughs> fascinating. Fascinating. Yeah. This, uh, this, yeah. this, this, this show is fascinating. We'll touch back on that when we return. You're listening to the modern architect, KZSU, Stanford, 90.1 FM. Each year, the lighthouse touches the lives of thousands of people, people who have been blind their whole lives or who are new to blindness because of eye disease or trauma. The lighthouse works to help people achieve independence, equality, and self-reliance through rehabilitation training and needed services. This includes access to employment, education, and vital government information. You can help. Donations are always appreciated. To learn more, visit lighthouse-sf.org. We're talking today with Chris Downey, architect, planner, consultant, and founder of Architect for the Blind. For more information, feel free to visit arch4blind.com. That's www.arch4, the number four, blind.com. Chris, you know what? It sounds, um, uh, tell me if I'm wrong here, but it sounds like you've actually utilized it and leveraged your blindness as an advantage is that true or if i'm really uh went out tell me no i've actually had someone say to me that i use it as my unfair advantage okay all right all right Uh, or uh and and part of it was it it it, obviously that didn't happen overnight uh it took a while to get there and it and it really wasn't until uh after I'd been blind for nine months, I continued at the work I had, but it was 2008. The economy was tanking. Ugh. Our firm was tanking, and by the spring of 2009, it was, it folded, was out of business. But So I got laid off from them in December of 2008, and so I started, Jan- started the New Year's unemployed oh. in the depths of that economy as, as an architect who had been blind for nine months. What the heck do you do? Yeah. I had a family at home, mortgage to pay, all that good stuff. And uh, within a really strategically placed phone call, <laughs> I made so, 
really deliberate uh, networking uh, through a business coach that works with a lot of architects. It was like, he'll know everybody. He'll okay. know every project. If he doesn't know you, he knows you because of their, your competition for, for the firms he works with. And so I reached out to him and explained the deal, and he called me back two weeks later. I said, I have an interview, interview for you. <laughs> And it turned out to be uh, 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 with a firm that was doing work for the VA and uh, uh, campus in Palo Alto, uh, a new polytrauma and blind rehabilitation center uh, for the for dealing with yeah. veterans that were experiencing oh, sight loss. Right. Okay. And all of a sudden, you know, I went from I need a job to Eureka, <laughs> <laughs> where all of a sudden. Being blind as an architect, which until that moment I was, I was out there on a limb. I was being somewhat defiant. I was, I knew it's a bit of a preposterous suggestion. I didn't really know what it was going to mean. Uh, the people that I worked with, they were confident that I could do that and and would would figure it out. But in that in that one little opportunity, it took my disability and sort of turned it on its head. And, and made it a real, delivered real value to the team that was doing that project and to the client. When the client heard that they had been challenging the architects, how do you, how do you know what you're doing makes any sense for someone who doesn't experience architecture oh. with sight? How do you know this works? Yeah. And they went back and said, we figured it out. We got somebody to help us out with that. And, and no the way. idea that I was new to oh. it even had value because oh. I was nine months into the same process those veterans experiencing sight loss would be going through in that very building oh, to get that yeah. training. And it's it sort of made me realize that there are those types of projects where being a, an architect that's blind actually brings tremendous value and unique value that virtually no other architect could offer. Yeah. Uh, so with that, that gave me the ability to not kind of work around it, tiptoe around it, be mm -hmm. bashful about it, just embrace it. Just grab it and, and take it. It's sort of like a creative problem where where you know we're tr you know things we experienced in design school in architecture where you know sometimes it's the most absurd site the most absurd program or connect combination of things that just like really how is that going to happen on this site yeah. on this budget on this whatever that's not possible yeah but you 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 got to deny that you know that presumption work through it and some oftentimes you have to embrace those very things like the very peculiar thing about that site you got to embrace it to really find the true essence of that site, of that project, to really make the thing sing. And I'll I like that. To, to some make extent, it sing. to some extent, that's really what this was about. And it was realizing, yeah, it's different. You wouldn't necessarily choose this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but once you're there, the, the ability to realize, not only is it, it's, a, it's not that it's something to be accommodated. Yeah, there are things we can do to better accommodate There's actually stuff to learn from this experience yeah, that wow. makes architecture better uh, than, than it would be if you were to think about architecture without. Today, I can't think about architecture without all these other sensory ex experiences. It mm -hmm. seems absurd to design. Absurd think. even. Yeah. Not even like an absurd. Yeah. To not f figure in those, those factors that you now experience. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, to just to, to, to say it's absurd not to, because actually that means everything else is absurd. <laughs> no, really. I know. I'm it, not it, saying all this architecture around Everyone's this is work is almost absurd. But it's, but it's like, it's such, uh, I, I, I kind of feel uh, remorseful that I had to lose lose my sight to learn this. It's like, oh. it's such great <laughs> stuff. And, and I did have some inkling of this before i had another what, what an seemed like uh, uh, uh an absurd <laughs> i thought at the time was an absurd situation where uh, i was working with a team uh, a few years before i lost my sight that was doing some work on a winery uh for uh, francis ford coppola and oh. in that project francis ford coppola was was just uh well first of all i thought oh this is kind of 
silly. What's what's is it going to be like? Is it going to be a stage set? Is this yeah. going to be a real architecture or whatever? But then in working with Francis Ford Coppola, he talked about about the experience of sitting at a table on a Saturday afternoon uh, in the vineyard, surrounded by the architecture, and he went through excruciating detail about what the sun felt like coming through an arbor overhead, dappled light on your skin, how your forearm rested on the marble table as you're having your having your drink, oh. that the how the chair felt felt as you sat in it, how you could feel how you could hear the wind going through the the the, the vines uh, out beyond. And all this, stuff, all this sensory stuff, and it's like, sensory. oh my God! I thought this was going to be superficial. I thought it was going to be a stage set. And his notion about place, about being in control of the senses, it defied all expectations that I had, and it made me realize that in in trying to make cinematography, trying to make the film come to life, yeah. it's about. You gotta punch that stuff. You gotta, you gotta make it leap off the screen. You gotta, to, or you gotta, you gotta just suck your your uh, your observer into that space. It's gotta be real. And I had never heard an architect talk about it that way. And it was him. And it was him. It was someone who designs, has that creativity, designs for the screen, and and it was touching the human experience experience in ways that was different and so much more profound than what I was thinking of architecture. And I dare say most architects think about that experience. Yeah, that's excellent. Yeah. Chris, what other projects are you are, are you working on now? I know you talked with uh, Shane at, at mm-hmm. Arup, and uh, he's here with us to kind of share with us some of the things that you're working on uh, yeah. recently. Yeah, so uh, recent work... Uh, Boy, right now the active active projects projects. I'm, uh, there's a project under construction now in Alexandria, Virginia, for the National Industries for the Blind. Uh, it's a new uh, seven-story building with the developed eighth eighth floor penthouse and rooftop rooftop. Uh, so there's that. There's a school for the blind in uh, the South Dakota School for the Blind and Visually Impaired in Aberdeen, South Dakota. Uh, Shane's working on that as well with us. Uh, then let's see also the uh, University of Pittsburgh uh, Mercy Center a new eye center uh, there uh, with uh, HOK um, out of their DC office it's a new uh, I believe it's about a nine story building uh, all new construction and uh, four or five stories underground for parking Uh, uh, so and then let's see, doing some work on something that's still somewhat confidential, really exciting oh, that's thing. Fine, yeah. uh, but for a zoo, something oh, really? that's not for the blind. <laughs> it's but it's confidential, but, but it's for a zoo. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a new master plan, a new new sort of look at a at a zoo, and and that connection came through the the exhibit designer. Uh, and we've done some work. <laughs> Oddly, we met uh, being in a on a conference together in Dubai, and uh, we started a great discussion about about design, about museum experience and stuff. So we started collaborating, thinking, and we did a did a project together uh, with Grimshaw uh, that's under construction now for the the sustainability pavilion for the the Expo Dubai 2020. Uh, so that's another project that I've worked on. It's not active right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but through that collaboration, he started realizing his whole thought about the exhibit experience, about the visitor experience in museums was too visual and that there were all sorts of other experiences uh, and uh, human visual. conditions mm. that he wasn't really uh, bringing fully into uh, his his uh, awareness and needing to work with. So. So yeah, he brought me in really to think, help him think, sort of outside the box uh, about that <laughs> museum, that zoo experience, and yeah. uh, which has been really exciting to walk, walking through that zoo with him. Oh and, yeah, what's that like for you? Yeah, I mean, really. You know, it's, it's, I was hearing things that that they wasn't even aware of, and once I pointed out, he couldn't get away from it. <laughs> <laughs> and oh. and it and it was all about it's like. 
you know, in this case, it's, it's an urban zoo. Uh, not to say that the city is a zoo. <laughs> 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 urban, it's in an okay. urban setting. Yeah. And, and you, you, we walked through the gates, and I felt like I could never leave the city. I was always surrounded by the sounds yeah. of the buses, the traffic, all the stuff of the city. And I was like, we haven't entered a, the animal world. There wasn't even oh. a transition that that established leaving the city, entering, you know, the animal world, a different, at least a different place outside of the city that's inside the city. Yeah. So how do you how do you do that? So all these discussions about how do we cleanse the mind? You know, how do yeah. we how cleanse do we leave the, the city? And sort of it's sort of like you know, b- tasting wine. How do you cleanse the palate? Yeah, how do you just refresh the mind, the your whole sensory experience to prepare yourself for something different? And what can we do? I kept getting, you know, we'd walk walk through and I'd be hearing these mechanical sounds. It's like, why am I hearing the mechanical sound here? It's like we're we're in exhibit space and I'm I'm listening to this generator or this this condenser. Why 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 is this here? I can't hear the animals. You know, I can't hear the birds flapping their wings or, you know, something splashing in the water. It's like, I can't hear that stuff. And, and then there's all sorts of things. If, if it's a different kind of, of uh, uh, biome or you know, a different type of animal environment, what about the surface underfoot? Or this railing you lean against to look into that experience? What about this is contributing towards that? environment that you're supposed to be part of and, and so it, you know it just sort of brings a whole different set of things into the the palette we work with in thinking about the creation of sort of immersive space immersive exper- uh, exhibits that really try to just like you know in the, in the movie the cinematic experience how do you sort of bring you into that mm-hmm. that environment and you know it's one thing to see you know this this you know, leopard or cougar out there. But if you could feel that sucker run by oh. you, <laughs> you yeah. can feel the feet yeah. pounding the ground or the whoosh as yeah. it goes by. That would be so much more powerful oh, yeah. than just like, oh, there it is over there <laughs> visually. And it's, yeah. it's one of those those things. It's like as powerful as sight is, there's no denying it. Sight does so many incredible things. Uh in terms of information of things you can okay. visually enjoy uh, but at its root it's incredibly detached oh. what you see it's over there you're over here and if you're trying to bring those two together if you're trying to shorten that distance between the observer <laughs> and the observed or the subject if you're trying to, to to really bring that together sight is not your best friend <laughs> sight it's like you're you're satisfied. I'm over here. I I got all I need. Oh. But what we're trying to sort of really really pull you into it to to away from where you are into where we are into this experience. And that's whether you're talking about uh, a habitat at a zoo, uh, a museum, a space in a museum, or uh, your workspace in an office building. It's like, how do you just sort of take you, you know, really embrace that whole experience and bring the whole human experience into that moment of being in that space? Outstanding. This is The Modern Architect on KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM. Curiosity is a science and wildlife center that seeks to help children acquire the tools needed to deeply understand the changing world. Curiosity engages and educates families and children through natural animal habitats, gardens, exhibits, and programs that relate to the Bay Area and the global environment. You're invited to become a museum member, to volunteer, or to touch science by visiting and meeting the animals. For more information, go to curiodyssey.org. We're talking today with Christopher Downey, architect, planner, consultant, and founder of Architect for the Blind. For more information, feel free to visit archforblind.com. That's www.archforblind.com. Chris, I also want to introduce Shane Murbeck from Arab. And you've both collaborated on several projects. Share with us, Shane, you know, some of the things you've worked with Chris on. Yeah, so, well, I think to take it back a little bit, Chris and I first met based on an art piece. Arup had done the engineering for a, a sound art piece at 
San Francisco MoMA. And Chris experienced it and then was at what sounds like a very fancy pool party. Every time you talk about the, <laughs> fancy talk about the pool party, I'm like, okay, this is, this is some high society event. Yeah. Oh, it was. Yeah. Oh, it was? Oh, okay. All right. Um, I like this. And ended up meeting the artist, Bill Fontana, that you know was behind the piece. And then Chris was talking about his practice and the things he was thinking about. And Bill you know, said, oh, you got to hook up with these guys from Arab. And the reason that he had is, well, the room that we're all sitting in right now, which is the Arab Sound Lab. Mm-hmm. So for a long time, we've used the Arab Sound Lab as a way to create acoustic renderings of spaces so we can simulate, do an immersive simulation of the acoustics of a building before it's built. So Chris came in here and we started cooking up ideas of how we could collaborate. And a lot of the, you know, a lot of the early days, it was kind of experiments, but some thought experiments of going down and following Chris on his journey to BART or to the temporary Transbay terminal and recording those and kind of adding in, doing sound Photoshop, right? Adding in different elements that could be beacons for acoustic wayfinding as kind of a thought piece for a presentation and that sort of thing. And that, that evolved over a couple of years. And then eventually it all coalesced into the design of the headquarters for the Lighthouse for the Blinds. Um, so that was through Mark Cavaniero Associates Architects. And Chris and I were in, involved in the whole architectural picture, but we were involved directly in, in specifically the acoustics and the audiovisual systems of the project. So we were able to use the Sound Lab as a real design palette for that process. Yeah. Now, Chris, what your involvement obviously was pretty extensive and vital with it. Are you also thinking and feeling for everyone else when you're looking at a project or throwing a pro- working uh, in a project? Uh, to the best I can. And yeah. that's, you know, <laughs> to do it right, that's what we always do as an architect. Try to anticipate how <laughs> are the future users of that space will experience the space. Uh, obviously, in this case, whenever designing a project that's specifically targeting the blind and visually impaired is really about getting everybody in the team, including the architects, to think in ways other than visual and to share the experience that I have, the experience I hear from others. Being in the blind community, you get to hear from others how they experience architecture and, you know, learn from them. First, I was learning from them as mentors, trying to learn the ropes. <laughs> and then it's like, how do we take all these different experiences and how do you, you know, just because you're blind is not to say that every blind experience is the same. We're just, okay. we're just another, like <laughs> any other people. So every blind person is different. Every type of blind, there's so many different types of blindness. And so there's, it's not enough for me to design from my perspective or lack thereof. It's really about, yeah. you know, I got I've got to design for all the broad spectrum of the visually impaired experience and with through this whole experience expanding it through the whole human experience which encompasses all types of the human yeah. experience with all types of impairment so it's very much a deep dive into the case for the lighthouse for the blind it's about a very uh, respectful, empowering, effective, and appropriate and enjoyable. Great environment. word choices. Yeah. Wow. It's like we don't design. It's a full palette. We often think about disability <laughs> and designing for ability to accommodate function, to make it work if you're in a wheelchair, to make it work if you're, you know, have some physical impairment or if you can't see. But, you know, it's not enough. Yeah, it wasn't enough for me to design space when I was sighted to just make it work for people that were sighted. Yeah. <laughs> That's not what we go to school for. That's not what we stay up late at night for. That's not what the creative process is about. It's about really making that space contribute to that life experience, whatever that experience might be, whatever appropriate expression is for that place, that program, whatever. So then it becomes like so much of architecture is about delight in architecture. Delight. I yeah. like that. And then I start thinking, well, well, if that's what everybody's aspiring to is bringing delight to architecture, what is delight if you can't it's see absent. it? So how do you, how yeah. do we create, how, what's an appropriate way of designing a delightful experience in a building that's not necessarily going to be seen or to be seen in the ways we anticipate it being seen? or experience in different ways. Yeah. 
That's terrific. Uh, Shane, your experience working with Chris, how has it been? Share with us, you please. Know, Chris has heard me say this one before, but I'm a lifelong musician and uh, deep listener. You know, I'm a close, <laughs> listener. close listener yeah. to many different things, and I've, you know, I'm an expert in that sense. And I've always, for a long time, considered myself that. But I will say that working with Chris and with the blind community revealed this whole other way of listening and this whole other kind of like level of experience of our acoustic world that's been really revealing to me. It's it's part function, it's part necessity, but it, it's also a lot of the type of delight that yeah. Chris is talking about. I can definitely attest to the variety of opinions from the Lighthouse side. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh. It would be like any anything you think you nailed down the design parameters, and it would be like, oh, no, no, okay, this this one, you know, this, this person thinks this, and this person thinks that. There's, yeah. You know, but I think there is a real unifying purpose to the Lighthouse headquarters. Some of the terms that kept being used were like, it should be like a village, you know, okay. where you have a whole variety of activities going on and some needed to be controlled and private and others wanted to be very public and celebrated. And so I think that detail and nuance from an acoustics perspective is something you typically reserve for like a performing arts center, like or a theater, you know, where you have this, this very focused and highly detailed level of acoustic design. But in this case, we designed the whole lighthouse facility like that, which is a really, a really interesting way to do it. You know, something that I certainly take on to other projects. Think about how much of a difference these little design elements can make. And you know, when you're working for a primarily sighted client where acoustics might not be the priority, you think back to little elements that we added into the lighthouse and how much they impact everyone. Yes. It's just something that Chris and I have talked about a lot is that if you add elements of acoustic wayfinding or of acoustic delight into the building, it's going to be better for the sighted. Yes. A sighted person won't necessarily know it the first time they walk by, but there'll be something about that building and something about that experience that's comforting and you can sense the care that was put into the design. Yeah. That's certainly something I've taken on. Yeah. I like that with the words you just said. The care, I'm very biased and I believe almost, if not every architectural project, even if it's a small residential, not just consider, but to actually bring on an acoustic expert. What's your thoughts on that? I'm pretty biased in that okay. one. But. No, no, I'm not saying obviously because you're here, but I I've, I've believe that strongly. What's your take, Chris? Oh, absolutely. It's like I can't okay. imagine. Part of it is the process for me. Because the sound lab, the ability to design, to be able to come into this space, change materials, change the shape, change the construction, and hear how the sound performance changes. You know, it's we're taking my cane taps, walking through a space on the ground and hearing how that space and all the materiality, the reflectivity, the, the density of the construction, how that affects what you hear in the acoustic patterning or structuring of the architecture i can't do that i i work with tactile drawings to me they're just drawings (laughs) you can't do that on the drawing yeah you know i'm sorry (laughs) you can't draw sound in there i'd like to create the possibility if you're really talented if you're really trained in both acoustics and architectural space perhaps you can intuitively know that but how do you Mm -hmm. communicate that how do you share that and let that be part of the design process with others, especially if they're <laughs> blind, where you know it's going to be critical. So to have this be part of that process, this to me is just as powerful as a drawing, as a, as a physical model to study. That. I just can't imagine doing this. Oh, <laughs> and I'm, go, to, go, to restaur- go to a restaurant where it's okay, really loud. Yeah. He's like... Dang, I wish they had spent some time in a sound lab when they were designing this place. <laughs> oh, you're right. Yes. Oh, it's like, okay. rather than, it's like, right. it's one thing to say, oh, we want a lively environment. Okay, that's great. But you want it to be, you know, you want it to empower conversation across yes. the table. Yeah. You, you want people yeah. to be relaxed. So how do you get that lively sound that, how do you create the ambiance of a space it's yeah. lively, but not oppressive. And part of the, the amazing thing is like my hearing didn't change at all, but my sight went away. But the acoustic environment of a restaurant became so much more challenging to the point where I had to work so hard to concentrate on conversation at my table. 
because like <sighs> the acoustic environment was so cacophonous, so nauseous. Uh, Shane likes to point out the nauseous. Nausea. Yeah. What's that? Uh, oh, it's uh, so the the word noise has the same etymology, the same root as the word nausea. So, really? Yeah, oh, yeah. 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 So, <laughs> that's a good one for yeah. the audience. Now. Yeah, right. Yeah. right, right well. So, so it's, we we always try to say like you know we're not noise control consultants. We're not trying to like make people not sick. We're trying to design you know pleasant acoustic experiences. But, so. Well, well, that ties into into the blind experiences. Since we can't, since I can't see your face, I am absolutely dependent on the quality of the acoustic environment to be able to understand you. It's mm-hmm. about the speech intelligibility. It's about all the room acoustics and all that stuff. And the harder, the louder, the more cacophonous, cacophonous it is, or the most, more nauseous it is, <laughs> the harder, the more and more and more I've got to focus so intensely to the point where I'm done with the appetizer and I'm exhausted. I got to go <laughs> home. You know? Wow. Someone described, we, we did a, a rendering of a project where it involved a lot of people, you know, it was a crowded environment, a lot of people talking and someone equated it to like a day on a sailboat. You know, like, you're like, you're like, oh man, I'm just like, I'm just tired from the wind, you know, like I wasn't doing anything. Wow, it could be that affecting. This is uh, the Modern Architect, KZSU, 90.1 FM, Stanford. We're talking today with uh, Chris Downey, architect, planner, consultant, and founder of Architect for the Blind. For more information, feel free to visit arcforblind.com. That's arcforblind.com. We're also speaking with Shane Murbach from Arab. Gentlemen, what has changed in architecture, how has it evolved in the last, say, five or six years in your experiences? Not just not just from your perspective, just from mm-hmm. what you've known of architecture, say, five, six years ago to today. Go ahead, Chris. Mm. Heavy pause. <laughs> no, yeah, I will, I will. Most, dead air is supposed to be bad, but on our show, yeah. it's really yeah. good. Yeah. That, was, actually, that was a thinking, a thinking yeah, pause. Yeah, it's really yeah. good. A lot of thought going on there. <laughs> I would say that in combination of being more attuned to universal design since working with Chris, I think that there's a consciousness about that, like that these concepts that um, that elements of design that make things better for someone in a wheelchair or someone who's blind, um, you know, are add to the building because they add to that that level of care that you put into every kind of aspect of the building. I th- I, I feel a, a rise in consciousness about that and on a number of different projects which is a certainly an encouraging thought (laughs) um part of that is is also tied into um you know adding elements of nature in the building so kind of a biophilic design you know there's there's like more conversation about um the rhythms of a building the circadian rhythm of a building whether it's a lighting element or 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 kind of the, the way that the airflow moves um so those are two things i think are are positive trends or uh-huh Plenty of negative trends, but we'll we'll focus <laughs> yeah. on the positive for now. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, I I do. It's hard. My experience in the profession and architecture is so wrapped up in what I'm doing, mm-hmm. and the teams that I work with, and the talks that I give, and all this. And, and it's it's not so much of of um, uh, getting a little carried away with you know my impact or whatever, but you know, I do hope that every project, every architect that I work with, uh, every person I pass on the street, I hope to have sort of a positive impact on somehow. Every person even. Yeah. You, know, you think about it. Oh, that's... There, there's, there's sort of... Um, you know, I'm 6'4". I walk around town. I'm blind. <laughs> I got a cane. I always wear this, you know, black cycling cap on. I don't disappear. <laughs> I, I go to a hotel I show yeah. up a year later and the doorman's like know. oh hey how you been <laughs> I've seen you here for a while it's like yeah it's been a year year and a half you know it's like yeah and 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 I you know it, some of it ties back to I I didn't know anybody that was blind when I lost my sight and had no experience with it and then you realize that that uh, every encounter you have as someone who's blind with someone who's not that might be their first experience and what's that like and it might be a challenging experience it might be someone who grabs you when you're about to step off a curb across the street and you don't even know they're there and they scare the willies out of you and and it's like how do you respond 
Yes. How do you respond, respond positively in a way that doesn't leave them think, oh, these blind people, they're, they're rude. <laughs> <laughs> I was just trying to okay, help yeah. them. I was yeah. just trying to help the guy. <laughs> and, and it's like, so you're, you're on, I, it, it's a terrible way of being, but sometimes you feel like you're on stage every day. And, and no, that's have, an interesting insight. You, yeah. you sort of have to, you have to accept it, but you also have to step away from it. And like, you got to be you. But in that way of being you, as that way of being an architect, in that way of affecting clients, impacting clients, and making a positive impact on architectural discourse, on you know the the formation of cities, of what it's like to be a person in the city, to get people to think. You know, part of the power, of, in my case, you know, I was fully sighted. You know, one day I was up riding my bike in the Oakland Hills on a Saturday, and on Tuesday I was blind. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, well, it can happen. On, yeah. We don't think of it like that. We just think of our current state as, as sort of the perpetual reality, and it's not. And, and so trying to embrace that sort of human fragility or the, just, the, just the human reality that's that's what we are and yeah. things change but that can be a positive thing and we can all contribute to that existence so i really like to try to think that that through all this work through the idea of design as as sensory design as architectural design as sensory design uh and thinking about it beyond just accommodation of of really uh elevating the level of 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 thought, of creativity, of really embracing a full that full palette of 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 the exper- architectural experience, the urban experience, and really work creatively with that. Uh, just everything. I just try to rub off a little change. Just a little. Ra- even even if it's just raising a question of yeah. oh, I never thought of that before. Yeah. <laughs> And and hopefully they walk away and can never not think of that again. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, I I noticed a lot um, uh, in our interview is embrace. The word embrace yeah. was used quite a bit. In fact, that we could have had a contest. <laughs> How many times Chris said embrace? But really, what what does the word mean to you? I mean, I don't know if you've ever thought of that, but it, it, it was used quite a bit in our, in, our, in our show today. Yeah. You know, boy, I. I Maybe if I were to uh, think back on things, I used to th- talk a lot in the firm I was with. Uh, I spent 10 years with Holt Henshaw, that we should be Holt Henshaw, Fowl Jones. And we there, we talked so much about authenticity. And authenticity comes from embracing your reality. It comes from not playing games. It, it comes from really finding that, that really substantive stuff that makes this stuff worthwhile and so yeah embrace uh, you know every in the all the work that i do uh and just sort of the act of the daily life it's about embracing that stuff it's it's so it's uh it's almost so much more simple now to be authentic uh, because it's not about playing games. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, yeah. it's about this is reality. This is real stuff. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so I, I never thought about just saying the word embrace yeah. so much, but I uh, I think <laughs> I about it so much. I think about it in the political yeah. situation today. You know, I uh, this that's whole this whole thing of being cited one minute and and not the next. Uh, and also not be in, sometimes in the disability community we think we're aware of this thing if you see someone with a dis- disability perhaps you can't see anything but the disability mm. that the disability comes first and that's where this idea of a person first language and disability is so important it's not like oh, i remember thinking hearing on the radio about in the winter olympics and they were covering the Paralympics after the Olympics and they and there was an interview on on NPR and they were talking about disabled athletes. I was like, excuse me, <laughs> they're not disabled athletes. They're athletes with a disability. What are they? Are, are they are, are they in the gurney? Yes. Are they in, all in cast okay. trying to compete out there? No. Have you ever met these athletes? They're okay. freaking uh, amazing yeah, they athletes yeah. that are doing just incredible feats uh just as powerful human beings that happen to have this 
disability, this impairment, or whatever. So we, it's so hard to see someone with a dis- disability and and get past that disability. And and, and it's so so much about this is about see embrace realizing that they're more like us than they're different from us and it's something we have we're really struggling right now (laughs) at this moment we're so overwhelmed with people making more of the difference trying to accentuate the difference about exploiting the difference it's like come on stop it yeah (laughs) we are so much more alike if you stop looking at someone and thinking oh my god they're so different they're (laughs) yeah no actually look at it say they are so much like me yeah yeah what is it 99 98 percent of most everyone is actually exactly the same (laughs) no really (laughs) like genetically and so like the difference is like maybe two percent yeah someone could call in and let us know but i know it's really high yeah but if we could embrace that and it's sort of like why do we have to stop and think about oh let's oh, let's take a moment now and design this building f- for accommodation. Let's design it to be inclusive of other people. No, start from day one. Every exactly. yeah. thought about the process along the way. It's like okay, what can we learn from this that can make it better for everybody else? How in including these people can make it inclusive, a better experience, not just available for everybody, but actually richer for everybody. I think we have so much lear- more to learn from all the variances of how we experience sp- uh, architecture of space, of cities. And rather than treating it as a checklist to go through yeah. at the end of the project or ter- you know, at the end of a phase, just think about, oh, what's this space going to look like if you see it from a wheelchair? You know, I saw a slide slideshow when I was a student by a, an architectural student who was a who was in a wheelchair, and it was like, what is wrong with this guy's slideshow? It's like it looks so different. It's like, it finally, it's like, oh my god, my viewpoint is two feet higher than his. He sees the world in a different way. He can't see over that counter. He can't see over that windowsill because he's in a seated position. From that moment, I could never design another windowsill without thinking about Peter. Uh, how he's going to see that experience and it's not about can he get there it's about how can he enjoy that experience so uh i'm off on a tangent no no carry on but you know it's this thing of embracing it's it's like we've had a tendency to embrace such a narrow spectrum of the human existence and part of this authenticity of architecture authenticity of design is embracing the human condition is which is so much more varied and by part of it is in, having joined the disability community meeting pe- all these people that are blind all these people that have different disabilities i realized i missed out there's oh. some pretty incredible people some pretty incredible stories and fun conversations and, and you know, great experiences and talents and work experiences and, and intellects that all these people, it's like everybody needs to experience that. And so we need to get out of our sort of little cocoons, out of our little silos. And architecture can play a great role in that. If if we make it more you know make it more and more inclusive, then more and more difference can enter into the workspace, into our museums, into our cities, and be functional and be side by side and start to to challenge that notion of oh you're different, oh actually, you know you're so much like me. Outstanding. This is uh this has been a terrific show. Uh, we can carry on, and I hope you both would consider coming back again. Really, sure. This yeah. has been this is great. There's much more to much more to share and experience. Thank you very much. Well, thank you. Uh, it's been terrific for ha- having you. Thank you very much for right. coming on in. I appreciate mm-hmm. it, Shane. Absolutely, Shane from Arab and Chris. Chris, thank you very much. It's been been a pleasure and an honor. Thank you. You've been listening to The Modern Architect. I'm Tom Dior. Our guest today has been Christopher Downey, architect, planner, consultant, and founder of Architect for the Blind. Chris lost all sight in 2008 and is recognized for accessible design and his dedication to creating enriching and helpful environments for people who are blind or visually impaired. Chris is also a board of director for the San Francisco Lighthouse for the Blind. For more information, feel free to visit arcforblind.com. That's A-R-C-H-4 
yourblind.com. Join us again next time when we welcome another outstanding architect, engineer, influencer, or civic leader committed to positive and sustainable cities, communities, and lives. The Modern Architect is recorded at Stanford University Studios in Palo Alto, California, and on location throughout the San Francisco Bay Area, and is a production of KCSU Radio. Today, the recording engineer is Darlene Franklin, Chief Engineer Mark Lawrence, and we're all assisted by Akshay Jaggi. And the executive producer and host of The Modern Architect is Tom Dioro. If you wish to contact us, our email address is interviews at kcsu.stanford.edu. Again, that's interviews at kcsu.stanford.edu. Dot stanford.edu. Dot